This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Welcome, everyone, to the real purgatory. If you're reading through Dante's Purgatorio and you've reached Canto 10, then you've just passed through St. Peter's Gate which, need I remind you, is the entrance into heaven. You've just made the most decisive transition it is possible for a human being to make in Dante's Reckoning. You're in. Outside is pre-purgatory or antipurgatory, the antechamber for those who are just waiting to get started on the heavenly life. Here it really begins. Really, you might ask. Yes, really. The heavenly life begins here, like the life of a butterfly that begins as a caterpillar, looking for all the world like a worm. When Dante introduces the people who are here at the beginning of real purgatory on its lowest terrace or ring or cornice, as it's sometimes called, he warns us, don't pay too much attention to the form of what I saw. Think of what follows, of where it's going. We are all of us worms at the beginning, but these worms are caterpillars born to form a heavenly butterfly that rises to God in beauty and perfect innocence. We are like half-formed insects, still crawling on the earth, and what we are to become is not yet evident to our weak senses. If we let the present form of things define us, then our steps will be going backward. The angel gatekeeper in the previous canto had warned us about this. Whoever looks back returns outside. So the language of being formed into a form that is not yet visible brackets Dante's description of the people here, who at first do not look like people at all. Virgil has to help Dante disentangle what he sees so he can discern the persons underneath the gigantic stones that they're carrying. He can see them properly if he focuses on the way they beat their breasts in an act of penitence. There he can see their humanity, their personhood. Still, the very sight of them causes him unbearable pain. These human souls are contracted, contratti in the Italian, bent in on themselves in a tiny space like the little carved figures you sometimes see in the inside corners of a Gothic church, contracted in a tiny space, bent down to look at the earth and the dust and the dirt. The very look of them seems to say, no more, I just can't. Più non posso. Più non posso. These are, in fact, the last words of the canto. What a way to end it. I just can't. But of course, it's not really the end. They can go on, and they will. They are worms, born to form that butterfly whose home is with the angels in the beauty of heaven. And we must remember, they are beginning the heavenly life right here, the life of the purified love of God. It's an important point that was forgotten over the course of the next couple centuries, in the later medieval period, when purgatory came to be pictured as if it were just like hell, except that it only lasted for thousands of years instead of forever. 
By the time you get to the 16th century, you have to imagine a purgatory full of devils, torturing people for thousands of years with cruel torment that you'd do anything to get out of, including, say, buying indulgences, the late medieval get-out-of-jail-free card to get you out of purgatory, which you could apply to purgatory and, well, then along comes Martin Luther protesting against this and you get the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, two centuries after Dante. But this hellish purgatory is not Dante's purgatory. Dante's purgatory is already heaven. Already it's the place where the human soul is formed by the love of God. There are no devils here, but angels literally around every corner. There is weeping as well as tears of longing and remorse, but no shrieks of anguish, no despair as in the inferno. Instead, we hear songs and prayer at every turn and light. In place of the starless air of hell, there is the light of heaven descending to earth like grace to give energy for the journey and make it possible to climb up to God. Don't turn back from this place, Dante is saying. Keep moving upwards. Don't look back. He has to say this because the form that grace takes here at the beginning of purgatory is so contrary to what we might expect from an ascent up to the love of God in heaven. Although if you want to see a more recent picture of how harsh and demanding divine grace can be, try reading Flannery O'Connor. The sin that is straightened out here is pride, the gravest of all sins because it's the heaviest, the one with the most moral gravity as represented by those huge stones. Pride is the primal sin. It's the sin of Satan himself, which cast him down from heaven to the lowest place in the universe, where all the weight of sin and guilt converges at the very bottom of hell, as far away from God and his heaven as you can possibly get. Pride is a deceptive form of greatness and high-mindedness. It lifts you way above everyone else in your own deluded imagination. So the contrapasso, the counter-suffering that corrects pride, is precisely to be bent downward under a weight that brings you back down to earth, facing the dust of the, of the ground. A strange way to ascend to God, isn't it? But it corrects the extreme of high-mindedness by bringing it back to the mean, the place in the middle, which, according to Aristotle, is the very nature of virtue, the golden mean between two extremes. The virtuous person is neither low down and dirty, nor high up above everyone else, but in the proper middle place in between. And that means the proud and high-minded need to be brought down from their lofty thoughts, pressed down by the weight of their own true earthiness. But the canto also contains the form of better things. Let's turn to that now. At the beginning of every terrace in purgatory, we will encounter examples of the virtue that is contrary to the vice that's being cleansed or purged. And the first example is always taken from the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here in this canto, she is the first and greatest example of humility, the opposite of pride. She expresses her obedient humility to God when she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. These lowly words of hers are the beginning of the greatest thing that ever happened on earth, the incarnation of the eternal God 
Jesus Christ, who opened the gates of heaven through which Dante and we have just passed. Humility, unlike pride, is true greatness. And then there's the second example of humility. It's good King David, the ancestor of both Mary and Jesus, who is dancing shamelessly in wild abandon and joyous exuberance before the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Humility, it seems, need not always be a quiet and retiring sort of virtue. What it always does is recognize something greater and higher than the self. In this case, the sacred ark of God's presence, which is too holy a thing for David even to touch. Lastly, there's the Roman emperor Trajan, getting off his high horse because he recognizes the demands of justice. That is the thing that for him is greater than the self. He must set aside his imperial plans to do justice for one poor widow whose son has been murdered. Humility, it seems, can mean a very active exercise of royal power on behalf of the lowly. And if it's startling here to find a pagan emperor presented as an example of a Christian virtue, just wait till you meet Trajan in, in heaven, in Dante's Paradiso, and you hear the rest of the story about how Pope Gregory's prayers won salvation for him. But that's enough of a spoiler for now. Dante sees these examples carved in stone before he spots the proud themselves, with their uncarved stones on their backs. The carvings are a work of art, a supreme work of art, God's own art, which has made it so that the stones themselves seem to speak and make themselves heard in what Dante calls visible speech. What sort of art is this? Well, Visible speech is also a good description for what we're looking at when we read Dante's poem, and indeed also when we read about these carvings, which, after all, are Dante's own invention. He's claiming something close to divine inspiration for his poem here, humbly, let us hope, insisting that we should see in the visible speech of the poem images that let us hear the voice of the humble Roman emperor the humble Jewish king, and the humble mother of God. They are, I suppose, the true divine art, the work of the artist who created human nature itself and elevated it by his grace. These three examples show us what it is like for that lowly worm on earth to begin taking form as a glorious heavenly butterfly. They show us the kind of people we may become when we finish carrying our own proud stones and are freed from them by the grace of God. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.